Bibles, you can turn there. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, that's one way people live, but there's a second way. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I have a very specific agenda this morning. It's to bring finality to our series concerning Romans 8.13. We've dealt much with this verse over the last several months, so I'm not going to do any lengthy review at this time. Paul presents us, you guys can see it there, Paul presents us with two ways of life and there are two ends that follow both those ways of life. One way of life ends in eternal death. You see that. The other way of life ends with eternal life. Now, to live according to the flesh, as you can see in Romans 8-7, which is just prior to this by six verses, is to live not submitting to God's law. In other words, a life lived doing what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do ends in death every time. You will not be the exception. Everybody thinks they're going to be the one to be the exception. Nope. Right here we have God's Word, His testimony to it. If you live the way you want to do with no regard for Christ's commandments or how He wants you to live, you will die. The path that leads to life is a life of putting to death what displeases God. This can only be done, you see it in the text, it can only be done by the Spirit. So only those who possess the Spirit can pull this off. And as Galatians 3 tells us, the only way anybody ever gets the Spirit is by faith in Jesus Christ. And it is by faith in Jesus Christ that men and women not only get the Spirit, but it is by faith in Jesus Christ that men also are justified. To be justified means that you are forgiven and you have a perfect standing before God in heaven. That's key. What's key about that is because what it means is that only justified, believing possessors of the Holy Spirit will ever be able to do what the second part of this verse speaks about. And it is only those who do what is described in this second part who will live. All others are in the first part of this verse and they all die. But mark this well. Mark, you guys... Take heart to this. Even though, and I'm speaking to you Christians, or those that claim to be Christians, or those that suppose themselves to be religious and have hopes of heaven. Let me tell you this. Mark this well. Even though it is by the Spirit that you must put to death the deeds of the body, it is you, it is you who must do it. 
You are personally responsible. Responsible to kill every sinful deed that is done with your body and in your body. Things you do with your facial expressions, words you speak with your tongue, what you do with your sexual organs, how you use your body language, what your hands do, your feet do, where your eyes look, your gestures, your postures, your tones, your life as a whole lived in this body is all in view here. What displeases God must die. The imagery is one of death. The enemy is our deeds. The energy is that of the spirit. Thy finality is the gift of life. All is at stake. Realize that. This is a verse where all is at stake. Life and death. Your life. Your death. Heaven and hell. Paradise or punishment. It's there. You kill or you will be killed. There is destruction and violence in these words, and if that's the way you read them, you read them right. Paul is painting a picture here of the most radical kind of assault on our own sinful deeds of the body. Things in you. These are things you do. They are things that have roots down into the very heart of your being. You must be killing part of who you are, part of yourself. It isn't pleasant. It hurts, it's hard, but it is the way of life. I've just described to you the Christian life. And that is critical because the Christian life is the only life that leads to eternal life. But here's a question for us, for you and for me. You know, you know we can understand why it is that some people can never live up to the second part of this verse. What, what does the second part say? The second part says, if you're going to have life, you better be living a life that consistently is a pattern of putting to death sinful deeds that you do in this body. And you know what? We can understand why some people can't live up to that. I mean, you, you've got a person who, you know, they chronically use their eyes to look where they should. They use their, their lips to speak wicked things that they ought not. Or they use their teeth to, to eat too much and they're gluttons. Or, or they use their mouths to, to consume alcohol. Or they, they use their hands to steal. And we understand why people like that. They don't like the consequences of their sin. They love their sin. They just don't like the consequences. And so what happens is from time to time, they try to pull back. They try to stop. They try to correct. They try to get their life in control. They try to put this thing aside and it doesn't work out. And after a bit of time, they fall back into it again. Folks, people like that, we understand why they don't achieve this second part. They've never believed on the Son of God. They aren't born again. They don't possess the Spirit of God. They're not Christians. They aren't even in the second part of this verse at all. They're in the first part. So all their efforts are in their own strength. And, and you know, no man is stronger than his sin. None. No man is strong. Without the Christ who puts sin to death and takes sin away, man is doomed to fail. We understand why people like that don't have success. They don't have the divine help necessary for success. But my question to you is this. Among those who are in the second part of this verse, and they do have success, and they are true Christians, why is it that some have more success 
than others. And you really can't argue the fact that that's true. All who have life must put the deeds of the body to death. All who have life will put the deeds of the body to death. But practically, some do it with greater success than others. That can't be debated. Some of you in this room right now, putting deeds of the body to death more effectively than others. Some Christians achieve greater strides. They run faster, reach higher, resemble Christ more. My question is, why? I mean, practically, what makes the difference? And there is a difference. There really is. All true Christians will and do put sinful deeds to the flesh. Sinful deeds to death. But the reality is, some seem to struggle more. They seem, some, some will flounder more often. Some seem to fall more periodically. Why? Is that? I mean, practically, when you boil it all down, what is true of the more successful Christian than the less successful Christian? Now, I trust, and I know what's coming to some of your thoughts already, and I trust we can all say this along with the Apostle Paul, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I trust all of us here will concede that God is responsible and He is to get the praise. Definitely, if I outrun another, if I work harder, if I'm more successful, if I kill sin more effectively... But, and here's the thing, oh, how with our Calvinism we go astray here. Let's never forget that Paul did actually work harder. You know, this text doesn't say God worked harder in me and that's why all this happened and I sat back and did nothing. He says, I did work harder. You know what? If I work harder than another, it is because I do actually work harder than another. If you put to death lustful glances more effectively than me. It's because you do it. That's a reality. Oh, definitely you do it in the strength of Christ, but you do it. If you fail to do it, is it not exactly because you fail to do it? You are responsible here. If you are less effective in putting prideful words to death than another, the reason is just precisely because you are, in fact, less effective in putting prideful words to death than another Christian. It's your fault. It's your problem. It's your deficiency. 
You will rise above where you currently are if you rise above where you currently are. I know this is very simple, but the reality is sometimes this needs to be echoed in our ears over and over and over because we are so hyper-Calvinistic in our thinking. We have this idea if God doesn't do it, not going to happen to me. I'll tell you what, Paul worked harder because he worked harder. Yes, it was the grace of God in the midst of all of it, but he did work harder. And if you will outdo another and out another and be successful at putting sinful deeds of the flesh to death, it will be because you are successful and because you run faster. That's a reality. Mark it down. If there's success at this point, it is precisely because you do Outrun, yes, by God's grace. But if you succeed, it's because you succeed. The reason I emphasize personal responsibility very emphatically right at this point is precisely because Paul emphasizes personal responsibility very emphatically in Romans 8.13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you don't do it, I'll guarantee you this, the Spirit doesn't do it for you. Now remember, remember folks, I'm trying to answer the question as to why some Christians kill sinful deeds better than others. And what I really hope you all grasp is that some do it better because they do it better. They do it. And if you will succeed, it's because you put forth the effort to succeed. You will have to have the determination to do it. But I know what some of you are thinking. I mean, to some of you, maybe that's a profound thought going through all that. But to some of you, you may be sitting there and you're thinking, saying to yourself, but I do try. I want to succeed. I see some victory, but not near as much as I want to see and hope to see. Not as much as I see in certain others. Why is it that my efforts to fight sin don't seem to be as effective as what I see in other people's lives or read about in other people's lives? Why is it that at times it seems like I pray, I confess, I repent, I'm truly sorrowful, I hate that sin, I desperately want victory, but that sinful deed just seems to not die. Just keep coming back again and again and again. How often do Christians say, I've tried. I've tried to get victory in this area. Or I've tried to get victory in that area over there. And I just don't have much success. So, at, at the bottom of this whole thing, it isn't that we really haven't tried at all. The problem isn't that we haven't prayed or confessed or grieved or repented we may have done all those things. And all those are good things. But the real problem seems to be that while we do many things, and even good things, sometimes the root of the matter, the very foundation of this whole thing, we just really don't seem to get to it. It remains untouched. And I believe this is exactly what separates the men from the children. 
when it comes to this assault on sinful deeds in our lives. The most mature, the most successful, the most godly men and women in the kingdom of God are those who go after sinful deeds right down at the root of the matter. And Paul by no means leaves us in the dark as to where and what these roots are. Sinful deeds come from somewhere. We've talked about that before in Romans 6, 12. Paul shows us right where they are, right where they come from. You can turn there, probably back a page in your Bibles. The root of the matter. Okay, 6.12. So Paul, how do our bodies end up being used for sinful deeds? Romans 6.12. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their, that's bodies, passions. Here's the answer to where sinful deeds of the body come from that we must put to death. Sin, as a force, seeks to rule and reign and run the show in your body. You see that there. And it seeks this authority and dominance by coercing you into obeying Fleshly passions. Sin works hand in hand with corrupted passions. And isn't that exactly what our experience tells us is true? We fall victim with using our body, our hands, our eyes, our mouth, our facial expressions, our postures, our tones, where our feet lead, our sexual organs. All of this, folks, we use those for sinful purposes. We fall victim to these sinful deeds of the body when we use them to fulfill corrupt passions and desires and lusts. You never use your body for sin except you're wanting to please some corrupted passion, some desire. Every single, just think about it, every single illicit use of your mouth, what you speak, where your eyes look, it comes back to a desire that you are trying to fulfill, that you are trying to give place to. We are being drawn by these, these passions to obey sin. And by that, we give place to using these bodies. We shoot off at the mouth because of a passion, folks. That's what's there. We shoot off with the mouth of our spouse because of a passion of anger. You look at a woman because of the passion of lust. You use your tongue to slander because of the passion of jealousy. You drink excessively, eat excessively, watch TV excessively because you want to satisfy your desires for pleasure. Now here's the main point that I sought to drive home the last time we considered this subject. Sin as a force and the corrupted Desires of your body are the evil duo responsible for the deeds that we must kill. And God's Word gives us identical, think about this, God's Word gives us identical inspired descriptions of both these culprits. In Hebrews 3.13, we read about the deceitfulness of of sin, and in Ephesians 4.22, we read about deceitful desires. So think about this, brethren. The sin that seeks to reign in my mortal body is deceitful. 
the fleshly passions and desires that sin seeks to make me obey are deceitful. Here we have the two great enemies that feed the deeds of the body. And they are both deceitful. And what that means is this. They lie to us. They lie. That is the only way they ever get us to use our bodies to sin. They lie. Think about this. This is, this is right at the heart of the matter, folks. They lie. We believe the lie. And we sin. Lay it down. Now this is a concept. If you get this, it will help you. When sin and passions lie, we believe the lie and we sin. When sin and passions lie and we do not believe the lie, we do not sin. And you know what? This comes back to the whole question we've been asking. And I'll tell you this. Right here, folks. Those who are most successful in putting sinful deeds of the body to death, those who are most successful are those who most frequently don't believe the lie. Lay it down. Brethren, mark this. Behind the deeds, behind the desires, behind sin as a force, there is a lie. Your struggle with sinful deeds at the core of the matter is a struggle with deception. I guarantee you this. Those of you who sin most in this room are the ones who are most given to believe lies. And I, I'm not just saying Christians. I'm saying every one of you in this room. The more you sin, you show yourself to be the more gullible. You show yourself to be the more deceived. You are the most ignorant by far, folks, you can't escape this. All you have to do is a simple Bible study and you will find out. You go there to Hebrews chapter 3. You go there to Ephesians chapter 4. You will see that the very things that lie behind your sinful actions are deception. And you know what? Every one of you in this room, you sin for this reason. Because somewhere you've bought into the deception that by doing this sin, it will make you happier in your life. Every one of you, that's right where sin hits us. I don't care if you're lost or you're saved. That's where you're at. That's where I'm at. That's the case of mankind. We buy into sin because we've been deceived. You may be sitting here lost today. You never heard anything like this before. But I'll tell you what. The reason you do what you do. The reason you ignore God. The reason that you misuse alcohol. You misuse your body committing adultery and fornication and homosexuality. You misuse your body with drugs. You misuse the, the time that God has given you by 
by being wicked and greedy and chasing after dollars and chasing after the shape of people's bodies and viewing pornography on the internet and chasing all this, folks, I'll tell you what, the reason you do all those things is you, because you really believe deep down inside they're going to make you happy. And I'll tell you what Scripture says, they lead to death. The wages of sin are death. And the only reason people pursue sin is because they don't believe that truth, but rather believe the lie that something in this is going to bring them good. When God all the time promises them it's only going to bring destruction, misery, death. And I'm talking eternal death, folks. I'm talking hell and damnation. People refuse Jesus Christ and they don't want anything to do with Christianity. You talk to young people. Why don't you want anything to do with Christianity? Ah, you know, that's, it's not fun. Sin is fun. Oh, for a season. See, you have this idea it's going to make you happy for a long time. You get the right woman. You'll go off into the sunset together. Don't believe that. Because that sunset's coming to an end one day. There's one day coming that sun isn't going to rise anymore, folks. It's going to be all over. You can't escape this. If you do a sinful deed with your body, there is a deceitful desire and the deceitfulness of sin bringing you to that place. And deceitful means you are the ones being deceived. So here's the reality of all this. If you feel like you just can't get a handle on sin in your life. I'm talking to Christians right here. You can't get a handle of sin in your life, look, at all. You're not a Christian. And you need to flee to Jesus Christ. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you the desires to do what's right. I'm talking now to those of you that do have desires to do what's right. You do have a new heart. Spirit of God does indwell you. You have ran to Christ for refuge. But you know you struggle. Men, your eyes wander. Women, your tongue gossip. Or... We have expressions of anger, pride, materialism keep coming back over and over. We've prayed, we've confessed, we've struggled, we keep stumbling. Christian, I believe it's because in all your repentance and sorrow and confession and efforts and determination, maybe you've never really repented of the lie that you keep believing every time you fall back into that sin. We repent of the sin and we leave that lie untouched. So, very next time we're tempted again, what happens is the sin is as good as done already because we never repented of the falsehood and the deception. Sometimes we are so programmed there is a deception that is, we have bought into so completely, so totally. I mean, as a child up, it is so much part of us. We've never thought any other way in our entire lives. And so even though we realize that sin is wrong and it's bad and we need to get rid of it, and we repent and we confess and we pray and we plead with God all the time, we still have this lie that we are cherishing and we are caressing and we are coddling. And I think a lot of times we don't even know what it is. We haven't even given a whole lot of thought to why it is we keep going back there again. Brethren, we must repent of the deed, but go deeper, brother and sister. Go deeper. Repent also of the lie that you have been, been deceived with. Forsake that falsehood. What is the opposite of a lie? 
If I must forsake the falsehood and repent of the lie, another way of saying that is that I must lay hold on the truth. Brethren, your path to victory over that recurring sin is found in the truth. If you just consider this whole deal from the other side, you sin when you believe a lie. But that's the same as saying that you sin when you don't believe the truth. Your freedom is found in the truth. And isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ Himself said? John 8.32 The truth will set you free. You see, brethren, when once you believe, and I'm not just talking about this theological theory garbage, where we just get all the doctrine right and straight. That's not it. But when you really believe for yourself, that very truth that lies in direct contradiction to the lie that you have been believing, it is right there that you will find your freedom from sin. Right there. Exactly. But most of us don't even think this way. We aren't really asking the question. What lie? Flat, I mean, you think about it when I sin. You're a thinking person. You sin because you're thinking. You don't sin because I wasn't thinking at all. No, I was thinking at that moment that would feel good. That would be right. That would be what bring me the greatest relief these passions that are built up in me. You're a thinking person. And I'll tell you this, right at that moment when temptation comes, there are, there are thoughts flashing through your mind. They're going through there. We have to think, what lie flashes through my mind right at that point when I commit that sinful deed? Typically we get angry or jealous or unforgiving or selfish or prideful or lustful. We bemoan the actual deed, but we never really identify the deception of the deed. Each time I sin, it's because I have a skewed view of reality, of how things really are. And I'll tell you this, folks, sin is stupid. All the time, on every occasion, it is asinine, it is foolish, it is never profitable, it is only destructive, it never does you or has done you the least amount of good, it's never to your advantage. Sin only damages, it disturbs and disrupts our communion with God, it damages relationships with other people, it is totally antithetical to godliness and to goodness, to usefulness and profitableness, it disturbs happiness disturbs joy, disturbs peace, grieves the spirit. And yet for all that, at times we still do these very sinful deeds with our bodies that we must be putting to death. And why? Because right at that moment when you sin, you are deceived into thinking that somehow, some way, You're going to be better off for doing that unrighteous deed. There is always deception behind sin. Always. And it is the truth that sets you free. And where is this truth? Jesus in John 17, speaking to His Father in heaven, says, Thy 
Your word. Your word is truth. That's where we find it. So lay it down as a fact, folks. Those who are most successful in putting to death the deeds of the body are the very same people who are most able to grasp truth. Right at the moment of temptation. They are the people who most clearly see things the way they really are. And the Bible is that book that tells us the way things really are. When you will see things in their true light right at the moment of temptation, folks, that's what's going to keep you from sin. What lie do you believe when you give place to evil deeds? That's the question. Now look, folks. I can't tell you exactly what lie you believe when you sin. I'm not inside your head. Sin and passions use a whole assortment of deceptions and falsehoods and errors to deceive the sons of men. And it may not even be just a single lie, but an intricate fabrication of various lies that are interwoven together. Here's what I tell you. Get alone with God. Get in His light. His light exposes. It makes manifest. You find in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, The Lord is able to bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveals the counsels of the hearts. He knows, folks. God knows exactly what lie I believe when I fall into sin. I mean, we need to come before God and God is light. And light makes manifest. Say, so, oh God, search me. You know my ways. Reveal them to me. Help me to realize this. Help me to see this. And when God does, when God reveals that, when you find that there, there is a lie, folks, behind your sin, you find it. Once you find it, you, you ask God to help you search it out. Once you know what it is, then you go to the Word of God and you read and dwell on and memorize and meditate through the very truths in God's Word that are directly contradictory to those errors and deceptions that you believe when you sin. You've got to have a grip on the truth right when temptation to sin comes. You've got to. That's exactly what Jesus did. You look at His temptation, immediately He had a grip on truth. Immediately He was able to come right to it and say, I will not go there. Because I know the truth. Your deception has no place here when truth is seated there. But you know what? Even though I can't tell you guys all of them, I know some big ones that tend. And I'm just going to, I'm almost out of time. I'm only going to deal with three of them and we'll just whip right through them. But the first deception that I want to deal with right now, and I'm going to deal with these three because they're somewhat universal in their nature. And oh, folks, this first one, I cannot tell you how many times I have seen this to be a reality. I've seen it to be true. It has come to light. I've been made aware of it like never before, having preached through Romans 6, 7, and 8. Here it is. The first deception is... Just this very one we have dealt with in so much detail over the last year or so. You know what that is, folks? 
so many Christians, and especially in the Reformed camp, they fall into this very lie. And some of you here have admitted that you bought this lie for a long time. This is one of the great deceptions that laid there. Many times unhidden to you. What is it? It's that lie that they are in fact unable to put their sinful deeds to death. Romans 8.13 says you better be or you will die. You know what the assumption there is? You have the ability, not in your own strength, but by the Spirit. You not only can, you must do this if you would have life. You are not a wretched man of the flesh, sold under sin, not able to do the good you want to do and only practicing the evil you don't want to do. If you believe that, it is no wonder you are not having more success. It is no wonder. If you, that's a lie, folks. Our God tells us you as a Christian are not under the dominion of sin. He says that... He makes men obedient from the heart. Our God tells us that you will, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body if you will live. Our God tells us that those that belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Our God tells us that we are free from sin. We will do righteousness. We must bear fruit for Christ. We do walk according to the Spirit. We practically fulfill the law of God. God does cause us to keep His commandments. Christ died to make a people zealous of good works. Away with the lies and the deceptions that you cannot have victory. Brethren, we must have victory. Christ guarantees it. And if victory escapes you, you have not life. Because you have not Christ. If saved, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things must be passed away. Don't you dare believe the devil's lie that you're some pathetic slave slinking around in the muck and mire and filth with drippings of your sin all over your mouth. Christ appeared to take away sins. And you go look at that in 1 John. He's talking about actual sins. He's not talking in a, in a justifiable sense. He's not talking just your record is got the guilt taken off it. He's talking right there in 1 John 3 about the fact He came into this world that if you're in Him, you're born again, you will not practice sin. You will not. And too many people buy into the lie. I can't have victory here. You know what? That's, there's no wonder you fail. If that is your basic mindset right at the point of temptation. I can't. The Apostle Paul said, I know nothing against myself. Nothing. He kept his conscience clear. You not only do, sin will not have dominion over you, folks. You've got the ability to beat this thing. Now, that's the first thing. That's been a general principle we've been looking at and concentrating a lot on over these last... I'll tell you another one. Second deception. Have any of you... Oh, I hope this one will grip you. Because it needs to grip me too. Have any of you ever read, and I know some of you have, and if you haven't, some of you ought to go home today and you ought to check this out. Old Testament. There are certain things when I became a Christian, they really impacted me heavily as I read through. Things that taught me about God, things I never knew before. You know, one of the things was I come to Isaiah. Very soon after you get to that first chapter, you come over to chapter 6. You know what you find there? 
Isaiah went to the temple and there was the Lord. He was high and He was lifted up. A pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. You have these fiery angelic seraphim with six wings and covering their face and their feet and flying about and, and with their voices they're saying back and forth, Holy, holy, holy. And we have the account there. It says the very threshold of the place. Not the voice of God. Just the voice of the angel. These things are such mighty beings. And the place is shaking. And there's smoke. And there's glory. And the, the train of His robe fills this place. And Isaiah says, My eyes saw the King, the Lord of hosts. What does this have to do with you sinning? Folks, this is going to seem ludicrous to you guys. But if you'll grab this, it'll help you. Do you think Isaiah beheld the majesty of the Lord? And he was thinking to himself, I am angry with my wife. And I can't wait till I get home because I'm going to let her have it. Think it was passing through his mind? Oh, that was a pretty attractive young lady I, I passed coming here to the temple. I hope I get a, get a chance to look at her on the way home again. <laughs> you see, you hear that and you say, that's ludicrous, that's crazy. Yeah, but I want to ask you the question. Why is it? Why is it? Why was Isaiah so far away from the kind of things you fall into so frequently at that point. What's the difference between Isaiah beholding the glory of Christ and you when you use your body, your mouth, your teeth, your eyes, your expressions, your posture, your tones for sin? What's the difference? There is a difference. What's the difference between Him there and you here at lunch sitting down at a table and gossiping about somebody else? What's the difference? Huge one. You know what it is? You know why there was no struggle right at that moment? in his heart as to whether or not to view pornography on the internet? Why there was no struggle to pridefully speak down to a subordinate prophet or waste his employer's time when he should be working? You guys, think about Aaron. Aaron has just newly been given service in the tabernacle. And fire comes out and consumes his two eldest sons. Now you think about the trivial things you get angry about. Aaron did not get angry. You know what the Bible tells us? Aaron held his peace. You better believe he held his peace. Why wasn't he struggling right at that moment with anger or greed or materialism or prideful sarcasm or a look of superiority or backbiting with his tongue? Listen, would you talk 
like you sometimes do. And watch what you sometimes watch on television. And go to the movies or look at the things on the internet. If the fiery presence of Jesus Christ was on the other end of your kitchen. You wouldn't do it. You know why you wouldn't? Because a man like Aaron and a man like Isaiah are gripped by truth at that very moment that you are not gripped by when you fall into sin. You know one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest lies, one of the biggest deceptions that we fall into when we sin, we forget who God is. All His glory. We forget how terrible He is. How awful He is. How sin-hating and glorious and holy. We forget. And so we sin. Right at that moment when you sin, you fail to grasp that reality. You know why it's so important that we have a sense of the presence of God in this church and in our lives? to do with this. When your mind is stayed upon God, you won't sin. When your mind is stayed upon Him as He truly is, I'll tell you what, Job all of a sudden shut his mouth, did he not? When God appeared to him in the tempest, there was a difference all of a sudden in Job's life. He wasn't so cocky all of a sudden. Wasn't so self-righteous all of a sudden. You know why? Because there's a third deception in all of this that I'll hit on right here. And it's got to do with this fact. Folks, when you see God, you see yourself. And one of the reasons we sin and we fall into deception is because right at the moment when we sin, we think God is like some little Santa Claus. He's not near as terrible, near as awesome as He is. But then we also think way too much of ourselves. But when you see God, you've got John falling down is dead. You've got Job saying, I'm undone. I repent in dust and ashes. You've got Isaiah saying, I'm a man of unclean mouth. You see, folks, we sin when we don't see God right, when we don't see ourselves right. Because you know what the truth is? God is great and you are not. And when you sin, it's because you take your desires, your aspirations, your pleasures, your gratification, your passions, and you put them above God. Because you know God said not to do it. Well, He doesn't hate it as much as what, what the Bible says. He's not really so... Guys, do you see where I'm coming from? Think about all the things, the TV, the movies, the novels, the computer, all the stuff, the materialism of our age, and it just numbs us to the reality of the presence of God. I'll tell you what, you want to get serious about defeating sin? I think most of you have already heard and, and you realize you can have victory. But I'll tell you what, 
I think this second and third thing about seeing God as we ought to see Him and seeing ourselves as we ought to see ourselves is so key in this battle against sinful deeds. It is a deception that by and large, I know it. I know it, brethren. Not a one of you sees yourself right or sees God right the moment you sin. No way. That's where Christ defeated the devil. He saw things as He should have seen. He knew. He knew His Father. He knew His glory. We need something. A peak. We The fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. At that moment of sin, there's got to be the fear of God. And one of the reasons we don't have this fear of God, folks, is because we've just become numb by all the sports and all the stuff and all the distractions and all the cares and all the entanglements. If we're going to be a church that's going to be successful over sin, we've got to be a church that's constantly in the presence of our God. And we've got to come to know Him and know of His terribleness, know of His holiness, know something that Isaiah and Job and John, when he saw Christ walking between the candlesticks, there is a glory here, folks, that if, if we will be entranced by it and, and be gripped by it, it will stave off sin. Just the same way that Isaiah and, and Hezekiah and, and John and, I mean, we could, we could talk about those that basically I think of Samson's father, Manoah. And I tell you, folks, when God reveals himself and he draws close to a people, sin tends to go. You got Christ all of a sudden making himself out to be much more than a man. And Peter is frantic and he is afraid. And he's saying, Lord, depart from me. And he sees himself as a sinful man. He saw himself for what he really is. I'll tell you what, when that temptation of sin comes and you see yourself for what you truly are and you see the Christ for what he truly is, sin is not going to find a place to ignite your passions. Do you guys see that? You guys see that as truth? May God help us. Amen. You're dismissed.